All right, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 this morning. In the course of my ministry, which is going on 40 years now, one of the most discouraging things to deal with is the complacency, half-heartedness, and unfaithfulness of professing Christians. Include myself in that as well. Many are disconnected from God's word and God's will. Many are disconnected from his church and even from God himself at times. And instead of influencing our culture for Christ, it seems that our culture is influencing us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. A study conducted last year by the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University bears evidence of this trend. Out of 2,000 professing evangelical Christians, 52% stated they do not believe that there is any absolute moral truth. That is Christians. Obviously, they either do not believe or do not understand that the Bible is God's inerrant, infallible word, which means it's absolute truth. It's no wonder because in this group, 61% said they did not read their Bible on a daily basis. So if you don't read God's word, you're not going to know what it teaches. Another 75%, three out of four people, believe that people are basically good. Whereas the Bible teaches we are sinners in need of a Savior. If that is the direction of evangelical Christianity, it does not bode well for the church or for our country. The trend needs to be changed. What we need today is for the body of Christ to be totally committed to him. Do you appreciate a person who is lazy, half-hearted, doing the bare minimum, whether they're at work or whether they're on your favorite sports team or required to do some kind of a task or undertaking and they just won't do their best, they just want to get by? So do you think the Lord appreciates those who call upon his name, say that they have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're not really committed to him? After all he's done for us, and he, uh, he can rightly expect us to be loyal and faithful to him. Now, there's one book in the Bible that constantly repeats this truth concerning our commitment. It's the fifth book of the Bible. We're there right now. And this is a book of the law which God inspired Moses to write just prior to the nation of Israel entering the promised land. They had just completed 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because their parents lacked commitment. They were full of stubborn disobedience and they could not go into the promised land because of that. Now, as they're on the brink of this new experience of finally obtaining the inheritance God promised to them, Moses challenges them to be totally committed to the Lord their God. 
And that's the only way they would enjoy life in the new land. That's the only way they would experience God's blessing and peace that he promised to them. Now, the promised land of Israel is not a symbol of heaven, as some of our psalm uh, songs seem to indicate. It was a symbol of peace and joy in the world as one faithfully worshipped and served the true God. It was life in the world as God expected it to be and wanted it to be for his saints. And as the Old Testament saint was experienced the best of life in the promised land, the New Testament saint, the Christian, is promised the best of life in the world in which we live. But only through total commitment to Christ will we obtain all of the blessings that God promises us. So let's ask God's blessing on his word to our hearts today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we live in an age when we have many, many more blessings and opportunities than the Old Testament saints of God. And so we have even less reason not to be committed to you than they did. Lord, we pray you will forgive us of our shortcomings, our failures, our stubbornness, our sin. Lord, for failures in the past, Lord, help us to seek your forgiveness for those things, but not to live in the past, live for the future, for being committed to you in the coming year. And Lord, we pray that anything that's holding us back, you would touch our hearts about that and help us to confess it, Lord, that we might be free to be fully committed to you this coming year. Use your word, Lord, to speak to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Deuteronomy, there are no less than six passages that convey God's challenge of total commitment to his people. And we're going to reduce these six sessions, uh, sections to four points in relation to a believer's total commitment to the Lord. And today, as I was writing this down, uh, we're only going to get to the first point. So let's take a look at that. And that is the Lord's expectation for total commitment that we read earlier in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. Now, uh, Moses begins this section with a question, with a requirement, if you will. And he says here to them, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God expect from you? You're among his people. You're one of his called, one of his chosen. What does the Lord require from you as his chosen people? And then he lists a number of expectations. But before we get to those expectations, we need to consider something else, and that is this. You cannot be committed to the Lord if you don't know him. I hope you didn't marry your wife sight unseen without ever talking to her. If you did, you, you had a, a tough road to hoe. 
but we, we, we can't be committed to somebody we don't know. The whole purpose of God's dealing with Israel is that they might know that he was the one true God who wanted a personal relationship with them. God revealed himself to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Why did he do that? So that they could know who he was and they could worship him as the one true God. And he made a covenant with these men that's now really being fulfilled as the people are about to go into the promised land, a covenant that included a great nation of people, Israel, and the land that they would inherit. And now they're at that point. God revealed himself to Moses, their leader. Why did he do that? So that Moses might know him. And he might lead his people out of bondage to Egypt into uh, the, the land that he promised. Out of uh, Egypt, is that's a symbol of the world. That's a symbol of the control of Satan. Why did God judge Egypt with the ten plagues to get them out? So that Pharaoh and his people would know who the real true God is. Not all those gods that Egypt worshipped, but the one real God. So God not only revealed himself to Israel in that age, he reveals himself to all humanity. Why? That we might know him. He's revealed himself in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. Jesus, when he was about to go to the cross of Calvary and give his life for us, in John 17, he prayed this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The whole idea of the Bible is that we might know God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know God, and therefore you can't be committed to God. A lot of people think they're committed to God because they go to church and they serve somehow in that church, but they don't even really know God. They are simply trying to please God in the way they think that he wants to be pleased, but they don't really have a relationship to the Lord. So once you know the Lord, once you trust him, you're able through his power to do what he expects you to do as Moses clearly outlines in the rest of this verse. We find that there are both positive and negative expectations related to full commitment. So let's see what they are according to the word of Moses, which is God's inspired, infallible word. Verse 12. Now, first consider, as we look into this passage, the meaning, the concept of full, total commitment. You'll notice that Moses calls upon the people to respond to what he says with all your heart and with all your soul. And other passages add the phrase, with all your strength. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? Do you remember what he said that was? He said that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, what do you think he was quoting? He was quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Now the word all encompasses commitment. It means wholly, fully, completely, totally. 
Commitment relates to the whole person, your heart, your mind, your emotions, your will, your innermost being, what you are. And we can be fully committed to many things in life, can't we? Such as our job, our vocation, our family, our, our hobbies, our friends, and on and on the list could go. But our most important commitment that governs and guides all other commitments must be to the Lord our God. Now, consider the ways our commitment is expressed or demonstrated. Moses goes on to say, now, what does the Lord require of you? Now, he's going to tell you what the Lord requires of you. But to fear the Lord your God. That's the first requirement. Fear the Lord your God. Now, that means we are to revere, respect, hold the Lord in utmost awe. One commentator put it this way. Reverence, obedience, total commitment are the ingredients of the fear of the Lord. If you ever read through the book of Proverbs, you know how it begins. It states the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It goes on to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we show our commitment to God by an attitude of utmost respect for him, which really demonstrates everything else Moses is going to stay here, say here. So we begin by having the proper attitude toward God. Then he goes on to say, walk in all his ways. Now the Lord's ways include all that he reveals in his word. And when the Bible uses the term walk, it can mean uh, normally, you know, the forward movement of uh, moving your legs and, and your body. So you walk forward, literally speaking. But it also uh, indicates your behavior, your manner of life. And that's what it means here. Your manner of life ought to be within the parameters of the will of God and the ways of God that he prescribes in Scripture. And really, there are only two ways in life that you can walk. You can walk in your own way, or you can walk in God's ways. And from the very uh, first understanding we have of, of anything in life, we begin to walk in our own ways the way that we want to go. And the reason that that men end up in judgment is because they consistently choose the wrong way, which is their own way. You remember what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? His own way. If we're committed to the Lord... We're not going to go our own way anymore. We're going to choose his ways, not our own ways. Then he goes on to say that we are to love the Lord. Now, you don't find that a whole lot in the Old Testament, not nearly as much as in the New Testament, but it's there, to love him. Scoffers say that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is vindictive and judgmental and angry and full of wrath. He's not a God of love. 
But that's not really true, is it? If you look down at verse 15, it says there uh, that, that God uh, loves. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. God has shown his love in the Old Testament. He loved Israel. He loved the patriarchs. Uh, he loved all those who, who chose his ways and came to him. In verse 18, it says he even loves the stranger or the foreigner that lived in that land. And because God loves his people, he can expect his people to love him in return. We love him because he first loved us. That's what the New Testament says. And of course, one of the greatest themes in the New Testament is God's love for us demonstrated in sending the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save us from our sin. And in turn, we should love him supremely as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you cannot say you love God if you're not fully committed to him. Then he goes on to say that we are to serve the Lord your God. Well, worship and service uh, are really kind of inseparable. When you worship something, you give it your full devotion. And service is the outward expression of your worship. A committed Christian is serving the Lord through everything he or she does, not just when you come to church and you're in that kind of an atmosphere. And it's not hard for someone to observe your life, whether it's at school or work or someplace else, to understand what it is that's important to you, what you're serving. And again, serving is the outward expression of worshiping. So they can see if you're uh, worshiping the wrong thing by the way that you act. And if it's not God that you serve, it's obviously going to be something else in the world that seeks your devotion and uh, promises to give you pleasure. But the Bible says that can never come to fruition. You will actually be enslaved by that which you serve. Paul says that in Romans chapter 6. Don't, don't misunderstand. Uh, you become the slave of what you choose to serve. Then if we go farther on in verse 12, uh, Moses says that we are to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today. So we are to keep his commandments. Somebody said there's over 600 commandments in the Bible. That's a lot. That's too much for us to keep. We've broken many of them, if not all of them. But God's commandments are related to God's moral will. And God's moral will is absolute. It's not man's changing standard of what is right or wrong. Uh, truth is not relative to what you think it may be, what you believe it is, but what God says it is. God's moral code is centered in his commandments, which, incidentally, Moses lists, again, besides in Exodus, the Ten Commandments. 
Now, we don't have time to go through them all today. We've mentioned them uh, recently. But if you don't know the Lord's Ten Commandments, how are you going to know what's morally good and what's morally right? Every sin that could be committed in the world will relate to one of these Ten Commandments. So if you know the Ten Commandments, which, again, are broken down to two commandments... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've uh, pretty much got the basis uh, for all moral things in, in the world that please God, or the immoral things that displease God. So we need, to, we need to understand what his commandments are, and then we need to keep them. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's one demonstration that you really love the Lord Jesus. You keep his commandments. And if you're not saved, you can't do that. Once you become saved, you're able to obey the word of God. Unfortunately, uh, we can't do it perfectly, but we can grow and mature. And the older we get, the better we become at really keeping those commandments and pleasing God and worshiping and serving him by that obedience. Now, there's one more expectation, and we find that down in verse 20. And he kind of repeats a few things. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. Now, Now, no, all these are commandments. And to him you shall hold fast. Now, that's a, a good word there, to hold fast. And that is the same verb that God used back in Genesis to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve. That they were to cleave or cling or hold fast to each other. That speaks of a strong, inseparable bond. It speaks of our consistent loyalty and faithfulness to the Lord in which we are to persevere until the end. So a committed Christian is going to hold fast to the Lord through thick and thin. Now, those are all positive marks of a totally committed Christian. Now, as you compare your relationship to the Lord, how committed would you say you are? Then note the last couple words that Paul ends that question with in verse 13, for your good. It's all for your good. People don't think that way today, do they? Most people think today that keeping, uh, uh, that obeying a bunch of commandments and rules isn't really good for you. It's, it's better for you to, to go your own way, to be yourself, to choose your own path, to do your own thing, to make your own truth. But it never really makes people happy. Even some so-called Christians try to evade God's moral direction, but that cannot result in your good or God's best for you. So we have all these positive expressions, and we need to respond to them positively as well. But we have some negative ones as well, not found in this passage. We have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to go, first of all, to um, verse 4 
and verse 5. And note the similarity between uh, the statement here and what Moses wrote in chapter 10. And here he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that was known by the Israelites as the, the Shema, a sort of confession of faith. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He's the one true God who revealed himself to the nation that, that we might be a, a witness of him to all the other nations. He revealed himself to us and made his covenant with us. And as the one true God who redeemed uh, us, his people, out of Egypt. And he's to be loved completely and totally with every fiber of your being. And as Christ redeemed people today, uh, the Lord saved us from our sins. He took us out from the power of the world, and we're supposed to be committed to him just as much even more so than the Old Testament saints. Now, in this passage, as we move forward, now let's look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There's the alls of total commitment. And now he's going to give them some things that they're not to do. That a committed Christian is not going to go this way. And we see these in verses 10 down through verse 15. And verse 10, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So what's Moses saying to them? He's saying we do not allow the abundance of worldly benefits and good times to crowd God out of our lives. That's not the, uh, the sign of the, of the committed Christian. When Israel conquered the land of Canaan, they received many benefits that they did not earn, that they did not work for, that they didn't deserve. That's grace. Their lives would be greatly blessed, materially speaking, and the temptation would be to enjoy life and forget about God. After all, he fulfilled his promise. Here we are. We've got all these things. We didn't have to work for them. And so now we're on easy street for the rest of our lives. We don't need God anymore. And perhaps that's why so many professing Christians in our country are not fully committed. We have too much. Life's good. We have few needs. Our portfolios are growing. We have time to spare, which we can fill with all kinds of things uh, that, that are fun and pleasing to us. And so when life is going well, it's not difficult for you to forget your relationship to the Lord. The committed Christian keeps priorities in line with the word of God and with the will of God. He relies on the Lord even in the good times as well as the bad. And sometimes the Lord brings the bad times so we, we get back where we ought to be. So we cannot allow the abundance of things in the world and the good times to keep us from 
uh, the things that are most important in our relationship with the Lord. Then along the same lines, we look at verses 14 and 15. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, unless unless the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. We, we, we don't seek replacements for the Lord. Uh, excuse me, let me back up here to verse 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. You shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods. The gods are the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of of the earth. So the Lord is jealous of our affection, deservedly so. And so we do not seek replacements for God. Nothing can really replace Him in our lives. How do you think God feels when we set our hearts on worldly possessions, the quest for wealth, popularity for fame, uh, power to control other people, relationships that become more important to us uh, uh, than, than, than to him, uh, and, and all these things, living as though really he doesn't exist. God is right, rightfully jealous for our affection. He deserves it. And I don't have to belabor the point that anything you allow to become more important in your life than the Lord has become an idol to you. You cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus said. You cannot have a heart divided between God and the allurements of the world. Nothing can satisfy you like God can, so why try to replace him with other things? And then finally, in the last few verses here, 16 to 19, we do not put the Lord to the test. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. The word tempt there means to test, put to the test. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. But you better not put him to the test. And that's what those who wandered in the wilderness were doing Consistently, Israel tested the Lord's patience and they provoked him to anger with their constant griping and their lack of faith. They would not trust his promise to take care of them. And then when they did face a needy situation, they demanded that he act immediately on their behalf instead of praying to him for help. We test the Lord when we fail to trust him in times of hardship by trying to handle situations on our own. Or we test him when we keep breaking a commandment, yet believe he's not going to do anything about it. Or thinking we can just ask his forgiveness, but we can keep on committing the same old sin. Those kind of actions are characteristic, not of a totally committed Christian, Those kind of actions provoke the Lord to anger, to have to deal with us, to have to chastise us, even as he did Israel. So all of these things we've been looking at here, 
positive and negative, are expressions of how you demonstrate or fail to demonstrate total commitment to the Lord. But let's briefly consider why we should be fully committed to the Lord. What's the foundation of our commitment? Well, let's go back to chapter 10. Beginning in verse 14, we have reasons now why we should do this. It's all because of what God has done for us. Look at verse 21. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. It's because of everything God has done. He alone is worthy of our praise. He's become our God through the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gone, he's, he's done great and awesome things that we can read about every day in his word, as well as what we see going on in our own life, such as forgiving our sins, giving us eternal life, giving us his word, giving us his indwelling spirit. How can we give back to him less than total commitment? And then just a few things are mentioned here concerning his works, which ought to stimulate our commitment. If you go back to verse uh, verse 14, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. So his, his creative power, all things were created by God, they belong to him, including every human being that's ever come into the, uh, into the world. We owe God our existence. That's enough reason to love and serve him. He goes on to mention election in verse 15. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, that is, is this day. His election. And we're involved in that because, remember, we're of the seed of Abraham, uh, which is the faithful seed. If you turn your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're included in what he says right there. He not only loved and chose Israel, he loved and chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We didn't do anything to earn that, deserve that, merit that. He bestowed it on us because of his mercy and his grace. This, too, is a mighty foundation for total commitment. Then if you read 17 and 18, you just see more about the Lord. Uh, for the Lord, your, uh, your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty, awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then he goes on to say, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So the Lord's holy. He's mighty. He's just. He's awesome. He's compassionate. And because of his attributes that he shows to mankind, we ought to be committed to him. So there's just a few reasons. There are many more in the Bible. So let's close today by asking a few questions. First of all, do you know the Lord today? You cannot be committed to a person you don't know. You have to come to him on his terms. Confessing your sinfulness, placing your faith in Christ and Christ alone as your Savior. If you know the Lord, 
Well, you ought to know the Lord. If you're not sure of your relationship to him, then you need to do something about that. And if you do know him today, well, what is the level of your commitment? Do you really fear him? Are you walking in all his ways? Do you love him more than anything else in the world? Are you keeping his commandments? Or are you provoking him to anger by persistent disobedience in some area? Because of all that the Lord has done for you and me, he deserves no less than our best, our total commitment. And there's no better time to renew that commitment than right now at the beginning of a new year. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're once again thankful for the power of your word. Lord, we pray today that you'll forgive us for our many failures. Even though we have come to you in Christ as our Savior, we know that we're at best unsteady. But Lord, we can have an overall desire and attitude of total commitment. So, Lord, we ask your forgiveness in those areas where we need to grow more, we need to be more faithful and loyal. But, Lord, perhaps there's someone here today that just needs to come to that place of commitment or to renew that commitment. And you've spoken to to their heart about something. So we would ask you today, Lord, to move us in the direction of total commitment. Before we close in song, perhaps the Lord's spoken to somebody here, nobody looking around. And maybe you've never really totally committed your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good time to do that now. Maybe you don't know the Lord, and you're kind of searching how you can know the Lord. Or maybe you haven't been living the way that you ought to, and it's time to renew that commitment. If the Lord spoke to your heart this morning and you'd like me to include you in the final words of prayer, would you just slip your hand up? Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Yes. Lord, I, I just want to be committed to you in this coming year. I want to do your will. Perhaps there's someone here who's not sure of their relationship with the Lord and you'd like me to include you in the prayer today. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm not sure, Pastor, on my relationship to God. I'd I'd like to know more about that. I'd like to know how to to know him personally. Would you pray for me, anyone at all? Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful today for the power of your word. We pray, Lord, for those who raise their hand. We pray, Lord, for renewed commitment, for renewed trust, renewed reliance, the power and the ability through your spirit to obey your commands and to fear you and to love you fully. And Lord, we we pray that as we commit ourselves to you, we know that you're already committed to us and you'll help us to do your will today and each day as we submit to your goodness and grace. Bless us as we continue now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.